This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we are the worst girl gang ever. Are you feeling isolated, lost, empty, or struggling with your grief following the loss of your baby? We have designed and written a course to help you navigate these challenging times following loss. We have expert advice and guidance in the following areas. Gratitude. Female reproductive health. Relationship guidance. Fertility nutrition. Exercise. And mindfulness and meditation. The course has been designed to support, empower and nurture you following your devastating loss. To find out more, click the link in the show notes. On with today's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined here by Fiona, who is the owner of Bauer Swimwear, who was our recent sponsor. Hi Fiona. Fiona is also a member of of the Worst Girl Gang, which is what we're here to talk about today, obviously. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, start at the very beginning. Let us know what brought you here. Oh, well, um, I have actually a chromosomal disorder that affects fertility, uh, and it's called a Robertsonian translocation. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's a big one. Um, And it is, yeah, it's passed down through either your mother or father normally. It's very rare that it's just a one-off occurrence. Um, I have a version that my chromosomes 13 and 14 are um, affected, but there's different versions. You can have, I think, 15, 21, 14, 14. They're all different combinations, and each combination has a different set of outcomes um, to the carrier. So... Mm. For me, I'm a balanced Robertsonian translocation of 13, 14, and it basically means that this, the ends of the chromosomes 13 and 14 are kind of stuck together. Okay. So they're never separated. And for me, that means that I can have a child with trisomy 13, like Patel syndrome, and often the pregnancies end quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, so between the weeks of sort of 12 to 20, the pregnancies tend to end. So, Fiona, how did you find out that you had this? So, actually, I got a call from my dad when I was about 30 saying, look, we have a letter here from when your sister was born saying we should test you for um, this translocation because he is actually a carrier. Right. Um, okay. For some reason, they just forgot about that for 30 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, which wasn't great. Mm. And were you at what stage were you in kind of, were you ready for kids at 30 or we, had you met your husband or? I'd met my boyfriend and we had literally just started actually talking about pregnancy and that we wanted to start a family. So really that year we had discussed it and then not long after I found out I needed to have this testing. Um, And so, yeah, I had the testing at uh, Great Ormond Street who had an amazing genetics team. Uh, And, yeah, I found out I had it and I am a carrier. Um, and they, once you find out you're a carrier, you do get genetic counselling to help yeah. you understand kind of all the different outcomes and deal with it. But at the time, to be honest, it didn't feel like such a big thing. So I thought, well, my dad was able to have two children. Mm-hmm. Does it? So does it affect? You say your dad was the carrier. Does it affect men in the same way it affects women with fertility? Or, or? Yeah, apparently, I mean, the thing is, it's still quite 
But like anything with reproductive health, the side, you know, there's not that much research behind yeah. it. But I believe from what I've read online that the men, it can affect them actually quite a lot. It can make it really, really difficult to um, conceive for men. And you um, mentioned that you have a sister as well. Yes, and she is a carrier as well. Is she? And has she got ch- children? Or no, she doesn't, and she's never tried to have children, so we don't okay. know the effects for her. Right, um, I see. But I think, I mean, again, the figures are sort of hit or miss, but they say with a translocation like mine, it's about 25% chance of a healthy pregnancy every time on top of already the percentage that you have just naturally conceived. Yeah. Wow. So to, what happened when you started trying for to have a baby? I guess I naively thought, well, I'll be fine. You know, it's it doesn't seem like that, you know, big, like it didn't seem so um, scary or I didn't feel, I guess, because I'd never been through it before and I hadn't known anyone to suffer miscarriages or or go through any infertility struggles. I just thought I'll be okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be fine. And I got pregnant in the first try, so I, I assumed, all right, that was easy. It's all going to be okay. And at the time, my best friend was also, she was pregnant, um, I think she was about 12 weeks ahead of me when I just felt pregnant. So um, everything was going well for her. So I just, just I guess, yeah, just assumed. Did it, it would... even cross your mind or were you just like, oh, amazing, we're pregnant, we're having a baby? Yeah, I was just so excited. I just thought, oh, we did it. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, at the time, you didn't know what the possible outcomes were or you didn't know how how common the 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 loss, you know, statistics were for your... I think I just didn't pay enough attention to what they had told me. I think okay. they had been quite positive in the communication about it and said, you know, there's ways you can get pregnant. You know, everything they'd said made it feel like it's okay mm-hmm. you have this. You can still have a child. So it's more about getting pregnant than it was about staying pregnant at that stage. Exactly. So I just assumed it would be okay. And then, and it felt like I felt pregnant. You know, I was going through all the sickness, the discomfort, and we got to 12 weeks and nothing had happened. So I assumed it was a healthy pregnancy. And I went back to England to have the scan, and my friend came with me. And by that time, she was very pregnant mm. and we saw the baby but within the first minute you know that something's not right you can see the look on the face of yeah. the and um, the heartbeat had stopped that's when I realized okay maybe maybe I should have taken this more seriously but it was um extremely overwhelming at the time especially mm. to be sitting there with someone who was very pregnant yeah yeah, gosh, I bet that was hard for both of you, wasn't it? I'm sure she was extremely, didn't know how to deal with that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, they dealt with it so quickly. Like, it was very overwhelming. It's, you know, they told me there was no heartbeat, then straight away took me to the another part of the hospital and said, okay, tomorrow you're going to come back here and we've got a private room for you and we're going to do a DNC. And it was literally within 24 hours it had all just kind of happened. You didn't have a choice about management. They wanted to do a DNC, did they, so that they could test yeah. the products, she yeah. says, with bunny ears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, they I mean, I was um, Queen Charlotte's in London, so they were very, I mean, they were amazing. They were very quick to 
manage things and they made me feel very comfortable but it just it happened so quickly you didn't have time to really process no yeah and then yeah yeah, that was it it happened and was your partner there or able to to get there no I did it all on my own actually which retrospect was really silly (laughs) yeah but then if you you I think everyone just does the best they can with the information that they have at the time don't they it's only later that the oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, comes in. Yeah, I didn't, I just didn't realise how much of an effect it would have. And I don't know why, I mean, the thing is, I think now in the past few years, loss is spoken about so much more, but back then, I mean, no one I knew had really had babies. No one was talking about it in this yeah. way. So I didn't know what was what to expect. Or- I think it's really hard as well because if someone had said to me, if someone had said to me in my younger years, oh, you're going to have a miscarriage, I'd be like, oh, no, that's awful, that's really sad. But you can't, uh, it would have just been like, okay, you can't. And then when it happens, it's this huge thing, isn't it, that you have no idea of the, the you know, the magnitude of it because yeah. they're just words. Before before you experience it, it's just words and it's something that if you don't know anything about, it's just a nasty event to go through. Yeah. But so this after your dnc did you really struggle with um kind of getting back on top of life and back on top of things or did you bury everything did you have a good support system i i think i mean my coping mechanism is always to just get on with things which is right. the healthiest it works at the time though <laughs> it's just kind of, that's always been how i do things i just don't talk them through and i just kind of move on crack on yeah and um I and actually we got pregnant really quickly again afterwards like I think I had one cycle and then I fell pregnant again so I I didn't even have time I think I knew that I wanted so much to have a baby that we just did it again yeah um which probably wasn't the right idea because maybe we didn't think it through like what if this happens again how can we how we cope with it we just kind of kept on going I think as well with the assumption that let's happen once it's not going to happen again right did you have the support? I think, yeah, you can definitely resonate with that, can't you, Laura? Just cracking on and yeah, yeah, trying again. Totally, it yeah. does come back and bite you in the bum, though, doesn't it? Did you have any support medically, like from specialists or consultants that said, right, this is what's happened? This is, you know, after your testing came back and stuff. No, they called. They also called to tell us what the results were of the. I mean, I don't know what they call it. I guess it's an autopsy as such, um, and told us the sex and everything. And they said, you know, if you want more support, you can, you know, call us, but they they don't set up any sort of regular check-in. Where were you living when this happened? Um, well, I went, it was I was under still under the NHS, but uh-huh. we just moved to France. So yeah, unfortunately as well, there was like, there wasn't a support group. So yeah. I was and do you speak French? Hmm. Not really. Can I speak French? <laughs> so I let the funky music do the talking, talking now. Oh my God, she's gone. She's singing. She's uh, off. Um, I, that, sorry, Laura, that, that absolute that show-stopping piece of music <laughs> has completely thrown me. Um, so you were it, basically you were in France without, you know, fluency in French, unable to find support, um, knowing that you had this condition. Yeah. and fell pregnant again 
Yeah. And how was your partner about everything? Was he hesitant to try again or was he just as sort of gung-ho as you? I think it didn't, he, he didn't feel as affected, certainly, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's from, a common thing. Yeah, mm. Hard to relate to, you know, they don't, you don't have the changes in your body, you don't, you know, like everything, like the, that connection, you know, like it's hard for them to understand this tiny thing you know yeah especially when you can't see it can you you can't see the pregnancy and you can't like to a to a man I always think the only clue of pregnancy is the um possibly some mood swings and stuff but but the the positive pregnancy test and then they can well they they sort of forget about it don't they until a bump appears yeah. yeah but as a woman you've got the hormones raging around and you've got that knowledge that you are solely responsible for that little growing thing so it's no wonder you get so attached but also I don't think many men grow up thinking I just want to be a dad (laughs) do they right a lot of women at a young age imagine themselves as mothers we play with dolls and we grow up thinking about names I don't know this might just be me but I don't think men do that no but I think I, I don't yeah but I think it's in there a lot of their yeah I'll be a dad one day type attitude it's not pushing a dolly around in the garden but it is desperation isn't there like the whole that my life how well you you succeed in life you you that's one of your markers isn't it you're gonna have a baby you're gonna get married you're gonna buy a house what for a woman or a man for a woman the baby's probably not the top of the list for most men yeah yeah partner is quite a bit older than me so I think for him as well children just you know he's not surrounded by friends with children so for him having a child it was something nice but yeah he definitely wasn't it wasn't in his grand plans I think it obviously was sad to him for him to probably see me go through it but yeah I, I, I don't think he had the same emotional connection at all so when you got pregnant second time was that completely different? The blissful ignorance and the the happiness and excitement wasn't gone. Completely mm. gone. And I actually, mm. funnily enough, I did the pregnancy test at the house of my friend who came with me to the first scan. And I remember I showed her the test and I just burst into tears because mm. not happy because no. I was terrified, you know. It said I was five weeks pregnant and I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and had she had the baby by this point? No, not yet. She must be very, very nearly due. She hadn't. Yeah, I don't think so. I can't. No, she hadn't. Because I think we went to a festival even and she wasn't. Yes, I don't think she had had him. (laughs) Yeah, you'd know. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the second time, yeah, everything's gone. The innocence of it is gone. You don't, you no longer count down the days to that 12-week scan scan in excitement. You just think, God, am I going to get, because this next week is something going to happen? It's Next day, will the baby still be there? Is mm. it even there? Should I even bother taking, you know, supplements? Should I, you know, you, do you just kind of, I mean. Is I it tempting fate? Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, what's the point being too excited? But then because it was only the second time, I thought, well, every week that went by, I kind of thought, it's okay. And so I slowly started to believe it was fine. And did you have any early scans or anything? No, because because I was we were living in France's non-dependence, which means you you still have to you go back to the UK basically for care. Um, there wasn't yeah. a 
opportunity. So I just left it until the 12-week scan again. Right. Um, and then we had come back to England for the 12-week scan and the day before the scan I started spotting. And then oh. the morning of the scan I woke up and started hemorrhaging and um, I had to go to the hospital in an ambulance because I couldn't, like I just couldn't um, deal with the pain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was a really traumatic experience because the hospital staff were not great, to be honest. So was this in France or had you come, you'd, you were back in England for the scan? Yeah. Right, okay. Um, and it wasn't Queen Charlotte's because we were staying in Henley, so we had to go to the hospital down there. And you're in an emergency room setting and they won't even say that you're pregnant because you're under 12 weeks. So it's almost like they treat you like you're lying that you're pregnant. They're like, are you sure you had a positive pregnancy test? And ask these questions and you think, I'm definitely having a miscarriage right now. I'm not I'm not faking this. Yeah. So do you think that they do that? Is that like retrospectively, do they do that to make sure to, to eliminate other possibilities? I'm not. I'm actually not sure. I really mm. don't. Like we tried, we were sitting, I was in the emergency ward and we said, can we please just go have a scan up in the gynecology department? And they wouldn't let us. And mm. then finally they discharged us. And then just as they discharged me, I started hemorrhaging again. And so we went back in and it took them another two hours to finally say, okay, you can come back up to gynecology for a scan. Wow. And by that point, I guess I passed the... The baby um and so they couldn't see anything so they wouldn't say I was pregnant they just would put suspected pregnancy so it was really not great oh, that's terrible <laughs> that's really hard isn't it yeah. just to, to be go through all that suspected and... yeah that's so invalidating yeah it was horrible to and and also like the, like there was one point I mean this is quite graphic where I'd gone back here after we'd been waiting for two hours to get back in in the waiting room I'd gone, I'd, before they could put me back in a bed, I'd, I'd had to go to the bathroom and I'm almost certain that's when I passed. Yeah. But I didn't want to look. But no one no. told me, oh, you shouldn't flush the toilet. So mm. I came out and I said, oh, I think I passed. And they said, well, did you flush the toilet? And I said, well, yes. Yeah. Mm. They told us we would have given you. And I thought, oh, I've, this is only the first time I've been through a natural miscarriage. How am I not meant to know what to do? You know, I'm, I'm not. Like, it's it's so... That this is something that we have heard a lot the 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 horror of the toilet flush, you know, because people don't know what to do, mm. and so many I would say like the majority of women that we've spoken to have done the exact same thing, yeah, because like i I don't know like how do you and i I didn't because I was told because I went to hospital because I had a missed miscarriage, so I went to hospital and then they told me you know these are these pounds that you put on the toilet if you need to go to the toilet and you started that's the only reason I, I'd have done the same it's just so horrid just to kind of feel that way afterwards yeah it's it was it was very it was a lot it was it was the pain the, the huge amount of pain I was in like it, it felt like now that I've been through labor I know how painful labor is so I don't want to compare it to that but at the time, I was like, if this is what it's like, oh, I'm never going to be able to make it through. Like, it was it was a really difficult experience. Yeah. And, um, 
and it just ended up being very drawn out. Like I, I returned to the UK and then there was concern that I had infection. So I had to go to hospital in France to be checked a few times. And it was just a very drawn out mm. miscarriage. You know, it went for over, I think, two months almost of just. And then you can't really get your head around, start to begin to come to terms with the emotional pain because you're still dealing with the physical side of things. Yeah, I think also... Because obviously the, the the pain of miscarriage is essentially the same as labour. It's it's doing the same thing, but I think when you've had an entire pregnancy, you've had that time and to come to terms with what your body's going to do, and also you've had the real discomfort of a a really big baby carrying a really big baby. So you're sort of prepared and you're ready, and you've you know, you've got to this space in your mind. You've had all this time to get to this space in and your mind. And there's a reward already... at the end. Exactly. And you go through it and you have adrenaline as well as the everything else that goes along with it because you've got this big pot of gold at the end. But when you suffer a loss, it's it's just the pain, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. the pain and it's not it's not coming when it's meant to come. And so it must feel so much worse than than that just because you know it's the sad the sadness is sort of making the pain more painful you know it's over and you know that there's nothing that there's yeah. no at the end of it yeah so that was the second one and that was yeah that really I think after that one I I, I couldn't have the same motivation to keep going I was really traumatized by it and felt very I guess scared of scared of doing it again because I didn't want to have to go through that again, certainly. Not that having a mis- miscarriage is any better, but I almost felt like with the DNC, you go in, it's done in a day, it's there's no pain, it's that's it. Yeah. But natural miscarriage is just it's horrible. It's <laughs> really like visceral and intense. Yeah. Yeah. I think after that I realized, okay, this is not what I thought it would be. And this is maybe gonna be a lot harder than I thought. Did you take some time out from trying? Yeah, we kind of, we, yeah, we basically stopped. Um, I think, unfortunately, effect definitely affected me in terms of wanting to even be into my partner for a long time. You know, it changed our relationship a lot in that way. Right. Because, yeah, your body, I mean, my body felt changed, even though I hadn't now, like, especially now having gone through pregnancy and seeing how much your body really changes, it wasn't that much but for someone who's never had a baby two pregnancies it felt like my body really wasn't the same anymore and I lost so much confidence and yeah did you feel like a sort of loss of identity a bit a little bit because I think it becomes all consuming when you're trying to be a mom like you want Mm. it so much that suddenly that's the thing in your life you're so consumed about getting yeah word disappears like a little bit yeah so how long did you take a break for? How long did you stop trying for? And what did you do in that time? Did you seek any help, any therapy? We moved country. Okay. <laughs> a change is as good as a the rest, they say. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved country, moved to the Netherlands. Um, and then I actually fell pregnant again about six months after we moved to the Netherlands. And then that time I just, I really did it. I was like, let's not talk about it. I don't want to. Yeah. Let's just go to the to the midwife and see what happens. Um, and unfortunately, that pregnancy also was a mis- miscarriage. Right. And that was, 
that actually finding out about it wasn't, the, the process of that wasn't so bad. It was more on the time I had had a call the night before the scan that my dad had had a heart attack. And so I was like, well, my dad's just had this horrible thing that maybe like I had a glimpse of hope that maybe the world wouldn't play, you know, that much of a difficult hand to cool me. hand, yeah. yeah. Four hours. Um, but then it did. And unfortunately, the next day I found out I had lost that pregnancy as well. Um, oh, and again, Fiona, is there any way of finding out? Before the 12-week scan, are there blood tests or can they see on a scan earlier? No, not really. The, I mean, you can have, I mean, with the NIP test, you can have, I guess, a 10 to 12 weeks, but that's obviously not um, conclusive. Mm. You can only say maybe you need to have further testing. So really there's nothing you can do. You just have to um, wait. Wait. And what were your... Um, when you found out that the baby had no heartbeat, was was there a similar number of weeks that they the baby had stopped developing? This time was the earliest, the third time. It was like eight weeks, I think. Okay. Every other time, well, obviously the um, natural miscarriage, we're not sure, but yeah, up to 12 weeks. The first time was 12 weeks and this time was less. So, yeah, I guess it, yeah, it varied for all of them a little bit. But yeah, the, you just have to wait. That's that's unfortunately the part of our translocation is there is no early detection. Um, almost all the outcomes that come with translocations are things that you find in later testing, um, like right. a test test, and so on. Um, oh, that sounds so hard. Mm. You just have to. It's kind of the keep trying. Just keep rolling yeah. the dice. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Um, and so then after that, I really didn't want to try for a while. Did you have any testing, any other testing done after that? Or were they just said, look, this is what the problem is? Yeah. Because what people tend to find, apparent, I mean, this is what they say. Apparently a translocation is, although it's not common in the, you know, normally, <laughs> um, in terms of actually infertility, they think it is more common than we would say because it's a, um issue you can have where you can have one pregnancy then fall pregnant again 10 times so many women may never find out that they don't actually have it but after i know in the uk you know you have three miscarriages you can have a test people often find that this might be the cause okay i see we get lots of people messaging us actually asking about genetic disorders um and then it's it's difficult because there are so many right so it's 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 hard for us to cover every single one that comes up, but um, I think the probably the feelings and emotions and the the problems that come with it are the same, no matter what that genetic problem is. There is this rolling of the dice and not being able to find out early enough. But is IVF an option? Yeah, so that is then, and I know in the UK they give you a if they find you have a translocation it is the NHS I believe do cover it in most areas and here in the Netherlands the government also cover it however you're obviously on a waiting list so it becomes a process Mm -hmm. Um, because yeah like and I guess this is the same with all other most other genetic uh, fertility issues is it's about finding a healthy egg really yeah okay yeah so that's what the IVF is for, is to find that healthy egg. So uh, if at IVF stage, they'd be able to tell. <laughs> Sorry. 
they'd be able to tell from the eggs that they take which would end with miscarriage no that's not right is it they, they basically test the eggs to see if they would be um if they have the translocation like, okay they can do that that's yeah. amazing isn't it EGD testing okay can they test to see if that embryo would then be a carrier or is that something that you have to do once the baby's born I don't believe they can okay in America they do that but in America because obviously you have to pay for everything in America you can choose whether you have a boy or a girl right that's yeah. crazy that's mess I think that's a bit messed up it's I think Mess, messed up's the wrong word, but I just think depends what the pain. reason is. If you've got a genetic disorder that's only carried by women, for okay, example, yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, true. but just like science a, is amazing. A preference thing is is a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe cut this bit, Laura, because I'm sure we get complaints about me being too judgmental. <laughs> judgy, judgy, yeah. Karen. Yeah. Oh dear, sorry guys, sorry Steve. So so yeah, so that was the pregnancy number three, and then you decided to leave it. And when you say you left it, how long did you leave it for that time? About um six months. Okay. So not and a did, huge amount of time, but trying to get pregnant. If six months feels like a a lifetime, right? You know? Yeah, of course. And also, so you were 30 when this whole process started. So what are you 31, 32? two uh, now no I'm 30 so I'm now 35 actually okay two pregnancies in one year then I had one the following year and then the year after that I had my pregnancy which is now my baby okay okay so, so you have you... three three losses in total three okay. and then and then we actually were starting the process of IVF we had signed up we had gone for our first round of interviews and testing and we're pretty much like okay by like in October you'll probably have a transfer so between now and then you're gonna have to start everything and this was in January of last year and then um Rupert said let's just try one more time and I felt pregnant because we're quite good at falling pregnant yeah (laughs) um which everyone says, oh, isn't that amazing? Like how quickly, that, that's great. And you're like, yeah, but it's not. No. <laughs> it's not really a consolation prize. Mm. Um, and we didn't te- We didn't want to tell anyone. I said, let's just keep going with IVF because the likelihood is this won't last. And then we would have got off the list and then we we'll have to get back on, so let's just mm. not tell anyone. And so we didn't tell the midwives until about 11 weeks. Oh, really? Yeah, and then there was a big freak out and the genetics team in the hospitals in Holland were calling me and like booking me in for a CVS test and you know got really worried and so it all it went from kind of putting the pregnancy to the back of my mind mm-hmm. to it suddenly being like okay next week you're going in the hospital for this test and then you have to do this and this and at the time COVID was also happening so we were yeah. jumping into lockdown here so it was just it felt really scary yeah yeah <laughs> Well, mostly alone. There was a they were threatening with everything that you'd have to do on your own. Yeah. Was there a point in that pregnancy when you sort of breathed a sigh of relief? Maybe, uh, <laughs> I think once I'd had the results of the CVS test. So what was that testing for? Sorry. The CVS test for basically almost everything. Oh, okay. And that's done at 12 weeks. Yeah, I think I had it done at 13 weeks and they normally okay. try and go through um, vaginally. 
Yeah. But because of my placenta was I had to go through my stomach. Ooh. Horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really scary because they tell you there's, you know, a chance of miscarriage. Oh, gosh. You're sitting there in this dark room with the doctor and you can see the baby on the screen and the needle going in. So it's very like nerve wracking. Yeah, like don't breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're trying not to cry and trying not to shiver and everything. Um, and then obviously, and with that, the testing, they don't give you all the results in one go. They kind of have to drip feed them to you because each thing takes longer to right. find the result for. So you're like, well, you're like, okay, well, we can tick off that. So then you wait another 10 days for the next thing. Okay, we can tick off that. And you're still thinking, God, I really hope we can have this last, you know, um, test. And then once that happened, I did definitely feel more relaxed. But I'd also just had a friend who'd had a stillbirth. So then I thought. Oh, my God. I realised that. That can happen too, right? Yeah. And so then I I thought I, I knew I had a healthy baby and I knew the likelihood it was probably fine. I think when you've been through so many miscarriages, you can't help but think the worst could still happen. Yeah. Mm. You know, anything puts your mind at rest until you have the baby, really. I think that's yeah. exactly how you felt, wasn't it, Laura? Because you yeah. said, I remember you saying to me that when you went in to have your C-section, when Bertie was born, that you were fully expected to... Them to bring out a dead baby. 100%. Yeah. 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 yeah I didn't is... pack my hospital bag. We didn't buy anything for him. Every time someone gave us, like some nice secondhand clothes or cot or whatever anything that came into the house that was baby related I would just sit and sob and I couldn't work out why and my husband would be like is it because you're happy and I'm just like no no it's because now then when this baby dies it's going to be even sadder because I have to get rid of all this baby stuff it's so bad that you have end up having to think that way but it's it's self-preservation it's just mm get too attached to something that you don't know if it will be there in a few months time yeah yeah we did we did a post um well we've done it we, we've done it a couple of times and I just think it's so true is is the the you know the it basically said something <laughs> I'm selling this well I know yeah it basically <laughs> said something along the lines of um the true strength of a mother's love can be seen in a woman trying to conceive after loss mm. and I think that is it's so true that determination to become a mother you can overcome the absolute horrendous nature of what you've been through and how on earth do you put yourself back in the in those trenches back in that battleground knowing what you know it's, I'll tell it's you why mad, it's, isn't it's it? not strength it's desperation but it's also like the innate human response of, of wanting to have a child that is such a powerful yeah um instinct isn't it and I don't know about you Fiona but I always found that the more the longer I waited and the more losses I had the more I wanted a baby and then at one point I was thinking Laura do you actually want a baby this much or is it just because you think you can't have it that you really want it yeah I think you end up questioning like also is it like should I even should I be having a baby like you become so absorbed in the concept of just getting pregnant that you forget what a baby actually means in the long yeah. term. Mm-hmm. You know, like what motherhood means, it's the rest of your life. You're just so in the, I just want to get pregnant. I just want to get pregnant. You're, You're so not- right. And I think that is why when I had the ugly feelings about other people's pregnancies, I only felt it while they were pregnant. I never 
felt it once once the baby had arrived. And I think that is why, because my obsession was just getting a pregnancy that would stick. I hadn't even really thought about that next step very much. That's mad, isn't it? But it's it's human nature, right? It's it's yeah. Like you guys are both having recurrent miscarriage, know this, must know this, but when you have the baby. It you can't you don't feel like you can say anything negative about motherhood, mm. and the because, same in pregnancy as well. Yeah, you feel like you you can't moan about it because it's all you've been, you know, hoping and praying for for years. And it's fucking hard. Like parenting yeah. is so hard, and there's so much to complain about. That so but, much. Yeah, but it's you know how can you when you've when you've got this gift that so many other people would. Well, I just did. I just did complain about pregnancy and I did complain. I do complain about motherhood. Because (laughs) otherwise I'm, yeah, I think I would just go crazy trying to hold it in. Well, otherwise you're still in this space of, of, of childlessness, really, aren't you? You're still in your, you don't become this normal person who complains about motherhood and who finds it really difficult some days, like everyone does, mm. because you're still stuck in in the mindset of someone who's who's struggled with recurrent miscarriage. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. It's mad. So how and how was the birth? Horrible. Was it? Yeah, it was. I, she was back to back. Oh. Um, which was just, and also I had done hypnobirthing, and I. I think hypnobirthic has a lot to answer for sometimes. Oh, really? <laughs> I think as a tool, it is great. But I think this concept that every woman can give birth naturally and it's just, you know, with the right tools, everyone can do it is misleading because I think I put that, If I, I wish I had thought earlier, just take the pain relief because by the time you, I gave birth, I was so exhausted. Mm. I didn't cry when she came out, you know, like I was just so. Done shock and like tired that I mean I was so happy but yeah I was just so done you know like that was it so yeah labor was really difficult and I um yeah I, I I wish I had taken the pain relief and not tried to be a superhuman so did you not take pain relief I did but or very, you did at the end very late in the day after about yeah. 20 hours of labor <laughs> Yeah, I was the same with my first, and I I think that's it's. I think there's this huge um, pressure and expectation on on women in so many areas, and childbirth is definitely one of them. In that, you know, you have to. It's like a oh, it's just a a, seems to be a judgment on whether you. And I remember someone saying to me, "No one, no one gets a medal for for doing." doing it without pain relief and I think and like it, breastfeeding we were just talking about before we came on yeah before we started recording that we put that pressure on ourselves don't we it's very it's we don't society. just put it on ourselves though yeah it on each other societal yeah. pressure of of kind of oh 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 you not you're not breastfeeding oh did oh an epidural oh, bad luck you know mm. who cares if your baby's born healthily safely then that's that's the main thing right yeah and also, you're a fucking, after you've been through labour, you're an absolute wreck. So yeah. it's better to save yourself some energy and be able to kind of be present for the first few days. It's true. And after, also, like, the thing is, is after everything, after you've had multiple miscarriages and you've gone through labour and you work, if, if my friend was telling me all of this, I would have said, 
take the pain relief and don't worry about breastfeeding. Don't put pain <laughs> but you're like, oh, I've got to do everything. Like even though you've yeah. three years of just hell. I guess you just yeah. want everything to be as perfect as it can be. <clears throat> you want the mother experience, don't yeah. you? You don't, want, you don't want like that to kind of follow through into into your into your motherhood yeah pregnancy was ruined because of all this I'm not going to let you know early motherhood or let labor be ruined as well I will be an earth mother <laughs> yeah and I really thought I would be like I'm not, I'm not that type of person I go, and I'm like I'm not that type of person yeah <laughs> I want from the first contraction and that's it like <laughs> I think even people that pretend they're they're that type of person sometimes aren't really that type of person. Social media's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> oh, well, I'm so pleased that you've had your little baby girl. Yeah, and it's it's great. You know, it's she's amazing and that being I love being a mother and all of that, but of course there's still that niggling feeling in the back of my mind of if we want to try again. Mm. Yeah. Um, I now know, and and the thing is, it, it's great to have the knowledge that I have this issue, um, but I also wish I didn't have the knowledge sometimes because I could just say, oh well, those three miscarriages were just an accident or just a, you know, that's it. They'll never. Do you find people say to you, oh well, now you've had one, it'll be no problem next time. Yeah, well now you've had one, it doesn't matter so much. Or yeah, I was going to say, do people, people kind of do people assume that you won't have any more? No, people always ask if I'll have it, if we're going to have another one. Do they? Also, because our baby is so, like, she's a very happy, well, like, you know, chilled out child. You know, when people meet us, they think, oh, well, why wouldn't you have another one? Look how great that one is. And they don't, a lot of them don't know that we've had these issues. Yeah. And that we do, you know, we talk about it. We say it'd be nice to have another one. But in my mind, I'm thinking, but. That could mean three more miscarriages. Yeah, can I go through that again? Can I do that with a baby? Yeah. That's a lot to have a toddler or, you know, a child you're trying to look after. You can't just go off and cry in bed for two whole days. Mm. <laughs> little person to look after. Yeah. It's um, it's That's a really interesting one and actually one that we haven't properly covered yet, have we? How to, know. you know, loss when you've already got kids. Yeah. Because I, I remember when when we had our loss last year, crying in the shower, it, like literally every time I had a shower, so no one could hear me, and then the the water just run. And it's, it actually makes me a bit emotional just thinking back to it because it was such a, like a... I didn't want to be this sad person all the time in front of my kids. And it's that's a real pressure in itself as well because when when do you let it out? When do you kind of look after yourself? Yeah, you have to you at can't, some point, don't you? Yeah, because else it all comes out, you know, like this, yeah. <laughs> 18 you, months later. Yeah, or you take it out <laughs> on them because you're you're angry or snappy. or And then you hate yourself again. And there's just such a cycle of crap that lasts for years. It's just, yeah. it's so, it's, yeah, it's horrible. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, I, well, the one thing I would say, I mean, I know we're talking about chromosomal issues is that if if women are going through even one miscarriage and they just have some uncertainty you can pay to have the testing done and yeah. find if you have a translocation because the one thing is it can also give you some of the translocations do have very severe outcomes um that you'd want to know before. and what is the test Fiona what is it a blood test yeah it's just blood testing um 
so nothing invasive. And do you know what the cost of it is, like ballpark or? I read I'm on one of a Facebook group, and I think it varies. I think it'd be one hundred and fifty to up to five hundred. Okay, it depends where you are, but there's Facebook. Like once you find out, there's a wonderful Facebook group called Robert's at Robertsonian Translocation Support Group that. But when I was going through everything, it was the best place. You know, women go on there and vent about everything, you know, mm-hmm. feelings they have about their friends' pregnancies, you know, just asking for support when you've just found out you're pregnant again for the fifth time. Yeah. It's the best place because, unfortunately, yeah, podcasts like this haven't been around forever. Yeah. That support hasn't really been there. Yeah. Um, one more question. If you are having recurrent miscarriages and you've had um, like uh, the baby sent off for testing, is that something that would have been tested? The baby? Oh, the... um, the, the, All the the genetics? Translocation. Oh, I don't believe so. I don't believe must test for... I think what they do is they test for whatever abnormality the child may have, whether it's trisomy 13 or 14... Um, down. I just wonder if it's something that's tested in a like a routine recurrent miscarriage. I don't. I don't clinic. believe this is tested. I think you yourself would be. Um, I think it comes up under like the chromosomal testing when they test for a, under you for recurrent miscarriages. Oh, okay. So it would be when you have all those fifteen vials of blood taken. Yeah. One of them would probably be testing for that. Exactly. Yeah, they te- that it's a, a, I guess a standard test when once you hit the three that magic, yeah. which is changing to two apparently. Oh, well, isn't that nice? Yeah, that's, that's good for the others that are coming through, right? Mm. A step closer, but yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story with us. I think it's going to be, I think we've covered so much, not just your, your condition, but there's so much other stuff we've covered as well. I think it's Mm -hmm. going to be a really helpful episode for loads and loads of people. Yeah. Having me really had a moment earlier where I was like crying because it's super emotional talking about it. Yeah, of course it is. Of course. And um, yeah, like I said, like I had, we haven't had huge amounts of support, not even like friend, you know, it's hard to talk about it in your friendship circles because I don't have lots of friends who are mothers and those who are haven't been through it. And so you don't really want to um, load them with your. Yeah, you feel mm. like you're constantly bringing the mood down, don't you? <laughs> you do. And they're mm. like, they're, they're too busy with their new babies to really, I mean, it's hard. I think if you've not been through it, you can never understand really. No, no not truly. Not from an emotional perspective anyway. No. But yeah, I really yeah. Thank you for letting me um no, it's our pleasure. It's lovely to Absolute chat to you. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much, Fiona. All right. You take care All of right. yourself. Yeah, I'm have a lovely day. Have a good weekend, guys. Take care. See you. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next week. And to find out more about our Pathway to Recovery, please visit our website. 
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.